So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Welcome to the Vexing Rebel podcast. I'm your host, Kurt, the Vexing Rebel. Today I'd like to talk to you about civil disobedience and jury nullification. As you will soon discover, both these items go hand in hand. As Voltaire once stated, it is dangerous to be right in matters where established men are wrong, especially when these established men are bullies, shrouded by the veil of authority, marching towards tyranny. More often than not, the people sit idly by, grazing in the fields like sheep, and they don't realize the tyranny that is built up around them until it's too late, when the wolves are already descending upon them. It is at this point where the people wake up and say, well, what can I do about what has happened? What can I do to get back my liberty that has been stolen from me? Well, there are many tools that a liberty-minded person can use, and at the beginning of it is civil disobedience. Civil disobedience comes in many forms and can be utilized in many ways. What I would like to lay out for you are four categories. What you choose to do and the manner in which you decide to be civilly disobedient is up to you. You have to decide how far you're willing to go. And you also have to be willing to accept the consequences of your actions. Standing up against tyrants is no easy task. People have been murdered. They have been beaten. They have been imprisoned. They have been locked away. They have been ruined. You have to understand this before you decide to take a stand. But once you take a stand, you need to be fully committed. When you take a stand, you don't necessarily have to go all out. You don't necessarily have to stare down the tyrants. You don't necessarily have to stand there on the front lines. There are other, more subtle ways in which you can be civilly disobedient. Which brings us to our first category. Refuse to participate in or acquiesce to the tyrant's design. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, for one thing, you can take your children out of the public school system and you can homeschool them. Now, some of you may wonder, well, why should I do this? Well, you have to understand that public schools are, in reality, indoctrination centers. They teach and condition the children to worship and obey the state. I know that there are people out there who may not want to believe what I'm saying, and that's fine. I understand. Simply look into it for yourselves and look at the Prussian education model. The Prussian education model was designed specifically to raise children who admired and worshipped the state. Look into it for yourselves, and you'll see where I'm coming from. Other things you can do is refuse to fly. I know that this is a burden on people. I understand that. But the more and more that people drop out of the airports and quit utilizing the airlines, the sooner that the tyrants will understand that you will not put up with the TSA putting their hands down your pants and groping your children. When and if you go to the airport, don't allow them to grope you. Another form of civil disobedience you could use would be to use cash. The government wants you to go cashless. This way they can track and monitor everything you can do and collect metadata on you. An alternate form of currency you could use would be some sort of cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. This way you could make your purchases anonymously. Be self-sufficient. Grow your own food. Quit relying on what's in the stores. Quit relying on welfare. Quit relying on government handouts. I know that's easier said than done. I understand that. But the government wants you in their pocket. 
They want you to be dependent on them. They need you to be dependent on them. That way they can better control you. Another example of a light form of civil disobedience would be to use open source software. This way it will make it that much harder for the NSA and others to monitor your behavior, to control your behavior, and so on. The second category would be to stop enabling the tyrants. Whenever you are pulled over, don't answer questions. Don't comply. Refuse searches. Encrypt your data and your emails and refuse to give the authorities your password. You have a natural and constitutional right to remain silent. You do not have to incriminate yourself. By giving up your passwords, you are incriminating yourself. You may say, well, what if they get a legitimate warrant for my laptop or whatever? Fine. They have your laptop. That doesn't mean you have to give them your passwords. That's no different than you confessing to something. You do not have to incriminate yourself. Even if you're not doing anything wrong, you do not have to incriminate yourself. You would be surprised at how often fishing expeditions turn into a nightmare for someone who's completely innocent. Stop utilizing social media that spies on you. Use alternate search engines like StartPage. The list goes on and on, but you get an idea of what I'm talking about. The third category is to become an activist. This is where you can go out, you can protest, you can march, you can make speeches, you can blog, you can do podcasts, you can make videos, pass out literature, demand the repeal of legislation, and so forth. However, you have to make these protests effective. Now, what do I mean by this? Okay, I want to give you an example using gun rights activists, particularly the open carry activists. I am 100% behind open carry. It is a part of your natural right to defend yourself. However, the problem is that whenever a lot of these people go to these open carry marches and they march on the Capitol or what have you, they show up with empty holsters, unloaded guns, straws in the barrel, locks on the trigger. How is that standing up for your right to open carry? All it does is make them look pathetic and weak. Your natural right to defend yourself enshrined by the Second Amendment to the Constitution, it isn't you owning a gun disassembled, locked in a safe with no bullets. Your right to self-defense does not end at your doorstep. The second thing they do is, the moment that the so-called authorities show up, and attempt to disarm them, they acquiesce. Oh, here, take our guns. What good does it do to arm yourself against tyrants if you bend over and surrender every time you encounter one? Taking a peaceful stand has to be backed up with the willingness to defend yourself violently if necessary, or it is nothing more than a bluff. The colonists broke away from Britain for less. Texans broke away from Mexico for less. The South broke away from the U.S. for less. You can poke your fingers in the air and cry, stamp and demand. You can vote and write your representatives. You can hold rallies and carry signs. But in the end, none of the powers that be care because they view the populace as a paper tiger too afraid to get off their knees to defend themselves. It's no different than a cop that yells at a fleeing suspect. Stop or I'll yell stop again. Maybe you could get the suspect to surrender if he pokes his finger in the air and yells, I really mean it. I understand the open carry people have their hearts in the right place. I understand that. But if you're truly trying to advance your natural right to defend yourself, then you need to stand up and actually utilize your right to defend yourself. Don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating violence. Peaceful protests have their place, but we as a people have already long endured far more than is reasonable. And this takes me to the fourth category. Take a stand. When everyone's standing around filming the police beating the slobber out of somebody or violating their natural rights, maybe a couple people need to put down their camera and perform 
a common law or citizen's arrest, you have a natural right to do so. Let me make this perfectly clear. Anyone, anyone who witnesses a breach of the peace or a felony being committed has the right, the duty, to arrest that person, even if that person is an officer of the law. Even if that person's a politician, it doesn't matter. As I told you in previous podcasts, you cannot give a power to someone else that you yourself do not possess. You have no power to hire someone to perform an arrest if you don't already hold that power yourself. Now, there's a lot of states out there that are trying to nix that. They try to pass laws saying that they're trying to stop vigilantism. Well, as discussed before, these aren't rightful laws. These aren't lawful laws. These are the color of law. And you may be thinking, well, if I break a law, even if it's under the color of law, I'm going to get arrested I'm going to be taken to jail. I'm going to be tried and so forth. Okay, this is where jury nullification comes in, which is a part of taking a stand. Okay, you have to understand that it is incumbent upon a jury to judge both the facts and the law. And if a jury believes that a law is immoral, unjust, unconstitutional, or improperly applied, the jury can return a not guilty verdict based upon this premise. Nullification is rightful, it's lawful, it's ethical, and it is instrumental in seeing justice done. Now, before I expand on this, I want to go over a few things with you. There are things called legal maxims. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of maxims of law and maxims of equity. A maxim is an established principle or proposition, a principle of law universally admitted as being just, keeping with, and remaining consistent to reason. You would be well advised to go and look into legal maxims. Read them for yourself. I'm going to give you some examples of legal maxims. They include, but are not limited to, Law is established for the benefit of man. An act of the court shall oppress no one. No one is punished for his thoughts. The power that is derived cannot be greater than that from which it derives. This is something I've been trying to tell you. Think about it. Government cannot justly be more powerful than the people which created it. What is inconvenient or contrary to reason is not allowed in law. Okay, keep those things in mind as I proceed. Laws, in reality, come in two forms. Malum in se, or evil unto itself. Things like murder, rape, robbery. It's obvious. Those things in and of themselves are evil. And malum prohibitum, or evil or wrong because they are prohibited. In other words, some law or statute or what have you has caused a prohibition, and in light of that prohibition, an act is deemed wrong or evil or what have you. Okay, it's under this form of law that jury nullification really comes into its own, because a jury has the final veto power over all acts of the legislature that may become to be called laws. And a secession of nullification can render a law dead, bringing about its repeal. Now keep in mind... When a jury says not guilty, that verdict cannot be overturned. In order to see justice done, a jury has power. A jury has rights. According to John Jay, the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, he said the jury has the right to judge both the law as well as the facts in a controversy. This is absolutely true. If a law seems ridiculous, if a law seems repugnant, if a law seems immoral, unjust, Based simply on the fact of that, you can acquit. 
A person may be absolutely positively guilty of breaking the so-called law, but that doesn't mean that the law was rightful or lawful or ethical. It may be a complete and absolute violation of natural law and natural rights. Let us say for the sake of argument that a law is passed which dictates that every household can only have one child under the age of 18 and that any extra children under the age of 18 must be put to death. Let us further say that the parents in that household refuse to do so and they are therefore arrested for violating the law. They are then placed on trial for violating the law. Obviously, the law is a violation of natural law and natural rights. Obviously, the law is unethical, immoral, and improper. Obviously, the law is unlawful. And even though the parents absolutely positively did not murder their children, the jury can still say, not guilty. And they don't have to explain why. Keep all of this in mind the next time you get a summons to jury duty. You should look at it as an opportunity to safeguard natural law, natural rights, and the Constitution against tyranny. You, that's right, you, may be the difference between justice and injustice. At this point, you may be saying, great, fine, well, what if we do all these things and none of it works and tyranny just keeps going down the road, ripping up everything in its sight? Okay, that brings us up to our last straw. However, this is something that's going to require the assistance of your friends, your neighbors, and people of like mind. And this will be the subject of my next podcast. And that is Interposition, Nullification, Secession, and Revolution. Until then, I'm Kurt the Vexing Rebel, signing out. Follow the Vexing Rebel podcast on Twitter at The Vexing Rebel. Like us on Facebook and check out our YouTube channel. We will post a new podcast every Friday.